0: Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for dialing in or listening in online with us tonight. We are the Revolutionary, excuse me, the Revolutionary Sisters of the Diaspora Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. And before we get into our discussion tonight, we just want to take a moment to reflect and to. Give a moment of silence to so many people around the country and around the world that are suffering today due to Mother Nature, due to what we've done to the planet. And we just want to give a shout-out to the Caribbean. We want to uh, give a shout-out to Mexico because they are dealing with a tremendous earthquake there. Uh, Everyone who suffered from these hurricanes in the past several weeks I think we're now almost at the month period uh, in, in Houston and elsewhere we just want to give a moment of silence for everyone who is still suffering and for parents who are still waiting to hear about their kids and family members so we'll just take a moment and then we'll continue with our show So thank you everyone. I uh, just want to say the Revolutionary Sisters is a show of the Power Network, which is an acronym that stands for Peace, One Love, Wisdom, Empowerment and Revolution. And we are black and brown women discussing a variety of different issues on the social justice, criminal justice, human rights front. So we really are very pleased that you could join us this evening we're going to have a few people calling in tonight and uh, what we want to do is just give you a quick recap of the shows that we've had previously and we're going to start our show after I give you kind of a synopsis of what we've been doing since January we're going to start our show talking about DACA And I think it's a very timely issue to talk about right now, and so we can't wait to get into that conversation. But just, you know, we started this venture this January uh, after – what happened in November of last year, we decided that we, and when I say we, I mean Solace for Sisters, that is a group that's been around for 10 years, a group of uh, primarily black women who were in criminal justice. And we decided we wanted to try to have a radio show on this power network. And the radio show uh, is, as I said, black and brown women talking about these various issues. And so we started off this January with a show on Masterfully Michelle, Reflections on Eight Years of Our FLOTUS, and we delved into what Michelle Obama meant to us the past eight years. We then went on to talk about push black and brown girls in the school to prison pipeline. We talked about victims of domestic violence. Reflections on self-care because we know that so many of us do not take care of ourselves and so we had a a show on self-care and why it's so important. Misconceptions and myths of mental health wellness. How green is your purse? Black and women facing their finances and we all know that we need to face our finances because it's real out here. The struggle is real as Q would say. Under siege, regressive immigration tactics. Disrupting Disenfranchisement, Resisting the Attacks on Voting Rights, and today our show is Sisters on Democracy, a roundtable discussion. So we will be talking about some of the issues that we have discussed the past eight months, as well as this new issue uh, dealing with DACA. And I think we may have touched on DACA a little bit in immigration reform discussion, but we know just recently number 45 uh, has just totally turned many, many lives upside down by his unwillingness to just let the executive order that President Obama put forth stand. And so we're going to delve into that conversation. I just really want to thank everyone for again calling in. And if you would like to join us, if you're listening online and want to call and join us on the phone to weigh in on this discussion, please. Call 619-924-0980. Again, 619-924-0980. And hit the one uh, number if you actually want to ask a question or make a comment. So with that, I'm going to turn it over. We will have uh, Trina introduce our first guest. And Q will close us out towards the end of the night. So thank you very much again for dialing in. Listening online.
1: Thanks, and and thank you again, everyone, for joining us. And I see we have a caller on the line. Um, we're what I'm going to do before we delve into our first topic. I'm going to go ahead and turn your mic on. See if you have a quick comment. Um, we do have a we have a lot we're trying to get through, but we definitely love to talk to callers. So if you are interested in speaking on the air person with area code 202721, push the number one on your phone and I'll see you light up and then we can put you on the air as well. But in the meantime, I would like to introduce M. She is a woman who has quite a bit of experience with federal law, with immigration, um, worked in the Obama administration and knows quite a bit about DACA and I'm very pleased that she is able to join us this evening and really give us the backstory about DACA, which stands for Deferred Action for
2: Childhood Arrivals. So Em, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, everyone, um, and I want to apologize for my voice. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, so um, if you can't understand uh, something I'm saying, please indicate it and I can clarify. Um, but as Trina indicated, DACA does stand for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And the one thing that I think that a lot of folks uh, don't understand specifically about DACA is that it doesn't provide a pathway to lawful permanent residents. Um, it only provides temporary protection from deportation. It also provides work authorization um, and the ability to apply for a social security number. And this temporary protection must be renewed every two years. And so when DACA was put into place, there were uh, seven uh, criteria that needed to be met by each and every applicant. Now, I'm not going to go over the seven criteria unless someone um, needs that information, but I will provide you with with some of the main ones. Uh, for instance, any applicants had to have entered the U.S. before reaching their 16th birthday. Uh, their physical presence in the U.S. had to have been um, um, in place by June 15, 2012, uh, or before then and as well as uh, they must have been present in the U.S. at the time of making their initial uh, request from Homeland Security to apply for DACA. Um, There were also educational and military requirements that had to be met. And most importantly, um, based on the fact that a lot of individuals seem to be under the impression that MS-13 gang members have all gotten DACA preference, um, anyone who applies for DACA cannot have a felony, a significant misdemeanor, or three or more misdemeanor convictions. Um, all of these these four criteria, uh, along with others, had to be met. Um, documentation needed to be submitted in order to prove the criteria that was set in place. Three forms had to be filled out, and a $465 fee also had to be submitted to cover processing and biometric fees. Um, And even when the DACA status was up for renewal, which happens every two years, documents needed to be filled out again, and another $465 fee needed to be submitted. So I share all of this to show that this is not something that was fly, you know, by the seat of your pants type of process. It was a process that had specific guidelines that needed to be met, and and it it was a cost to each and every uh, young man or woman who applied for it. Now, as of March of this year, March 31st to be exact, 787,580 individuals have been approved for the program since it started back on June 15th of 2012. And nearly 800,000 renewals have been approved over the life of the program. So what does DACA do for the recipients? Well, it allows them to come out of the shadows. Here you have young women, men and women who were brought to the U.S., you know, um, without no fault of their own per se, right, that their parents brought them here. They they had to be younger than uh, 16 before um, they qualified or to meet the criteria for DACA. Um, And then they have, so now they have this documentation. They have a work permit. They have their Social Security number. They can come out of the shadows. They can apply for driver's licenses in certain states. They can enroll for college. Um, In certain states, they can even qualify for some sort of financial assistance. And they can secure jobs because they have a work permit and they have their Social Security number. But most importantly, uh, for a lot of folks who think about the economy, they also pay income taxes, and and they're putting money into our um, economy by starting businesses or purchasing vehicles. Uh, But most importantly, they provide for themselves and their families. Um, now, we have some immigrant advocates who have complained that having uh, DACA, you know, this humanitarian relief, leaves folks in limbo. But as a result of this, on the, on the flip side, as a result of DACA, you've had many recipients who've been able to set up businesses, work, and even purchase homes. <clears throat> some points that are not normally discussed is when we hear DACA, many folks immediately think that it's just Latinos who receive Uh, the DACA status but there are actually 24 countries of origin per se that are followed um, that have had applicants uh, receive the DACA status the biggest country has been Mexico um, then followed by El Salvador Guatemala and Honduras but we also have um, other recipients so seven of the top 24 countries that we follow with the highest acceptance rate for DACA include applicants from Asia, Europe and the Caribbean. You actually have tens of thousands of young people from South Korea, the Philippines, India, Jamaica, Tobago, Poland and Pakistan who arrived in the US as minors and have been protected from the threat of deportation um, since DACA was established in 2012. But there is a caveat to this that not too many people speak about. And so there's actually a think tank in DC called the Migration Policy Institute And they've looked at the numbers, and they've also indicated that there are about 600,000 black undocumented immigrants among the approximately 11 million undocumented immigrants in the U.S. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because uh, what we see in the criminal justice system and what we see in the foster care system where um, black and brown uh, young men and women get a harsher sentence or spend a longer time in foster care, as a result of the fact of their ethnicity or their race, we're finding that uh, fear of deportation also applies when it comes to black undocumented immigrants. So according to the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, which is an immigrant uh, rights group, they've indicated that black undocumented immigrants are less likely to have their DACA applications approved than their non-black immigrant counterparts. So we've got countries with the largest number of black DACA recipients um, being Jamaica, Trinidad, and Tobago, and Nigeria. And so one of the data that's currently being reported is that while we have about 87% of applicants from these four countries um, having their DACA applications approved, um, when you look at applicants from all the other countries, you have about 91% of those applications being approved. And so they've they've interviewed uh, some of the undocumented black um, immigrants and what they've learned is that there's this fear of deportation that although it's common among many undocumented immigrants, this fear seems to be uh, justified among the black immigrants because Mm. they tend to be detained and deported at five times the rate of other populations of undocumented people, um, which is a striking number, a striking number. So what do we need to know about DACA as we move forward? So as we know, on September 15, 2017, um, AG Sessions on behalf of 45 announced that the DACA program was gonna be phased out over two and a half years. So what does this mean? So what it means for our recipients um, is that as of September 5th, the USCIS, which is the United States Citizen and Immigration Services, which is part of Homeland Security, will no longer accept initial requests for DACA, but they will adjudicate any initial request that was received by September 5th. But here's the thing that I'd like for you to keep in mind. September 5th, it was announced on that day. If you don't have your stuff filed in our hands today, not like I put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox on September 5th. It's like if if it wasn't in our office on September 5th, then you can't submit your application for renewal it's crazy there are no longer yeah it is crazy <laughs> excuse me um, they're no longer approving advanced parole requests, um, which can be uh, requested by DACA recipients and what's advanced parole well when you have this um, the DACA status you are allowed to submit an application and a fee to be allowed to travel outside of the country which allowed a lot of um, DACA recipients to be able to go back home and see their family members that they had not seen. Um, because once you leave and you don't have a legal status within the U.S., you're not allowed to, to, to return, right, by, by flight or boat or anything like that. Um, so they are no longer allowing that. So even if you applied before September 5th to allow you to travel at any point in time after September 5th, UCI, USCIS will not be adjudicating those applications. So we got a question for you.
3: Hi, and sure. this is Q, the lovable, hungable, angry black woman. I have a quick question. so in terms of filing the applications with Homeland Security, if the application has a postmark that predates September 5th, even though they receive it after September 5th, that postmark is irrelevant to
2: whether or not they will accept the application. Correct. If, um, so <clears throat> especially if, if your DACA expired before September 5th. So if it expired before September 5th and your renewal application was not received by that date, then you're ineligible to renew. Now, if you sent it before September 5th, um, then it's unclear but they were very specific saying that if if it expired before and your renewal application was not received by that date you're ineligible. Okay. So I have a I Did have a I question. question. Did oh, I just go ahead. Pick you up? I'm sorry. No no no, no, I, no I not that's oh. okay.
1: So, so basically ahead. it's a gotcha. It's a gotcha, right? Like yes, they're gonna make yes. the announcement. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, so if you had expired, even if you expired before September 5th, but you never put it in the mail um, until that day when they announced it and you saw, let me hurry up, you know, I expired three weeks ago, let me hurry up and send it in today, it's not going to be accepted because it had already expired and you failed to send it in on time. Now, if you sent it in before September 5th and they were in receipt of it, then they have said every single one in their hand, they will go ahead and adjudicate. But anything received post-September 5th, even if you put it in the mail on September 4th, will not be adjudicated. Okay, so I
1: have a, I have a couple follow-on questions for you. So we're, okay. there was the day that um, Jeff Sessions had that press conference and made that announcement, and then the same day... So that evening or the next morning, 45 tweeted and said, oh, I might reconsider. And then since mm-hmm. then, there was this meeting with Pelosi and Schumer where um, there was reportedly a quote-unquote deal that was made that, that also tied into the wall. Um, mm-hmm. What do you know about that and kind of what, where's the status of that?
2: So nothing's been memorialized um, there was some, uh, how can we say, back, backwards walking <laughs> um, <laughs> after that statement was made. And at the end of the day, the deal doesn't matter um, mm-hmm. because at, unless Congress passes, passes a measure to protect the DACA recipients, whatever was decided on September 5th stands. Mm-hmm. So, so the only person that can really fix it is Congress. Otherwise, the um, the guidance that was issued by DHS as a result of the announcement made by AG Sessions is what will be adhered to, which which states you know what I've indicated thus far. And then there's um, a couple of other things that it also uh, points out. But I know you said you had more than one question. Yeah. So the um, the next question I have is
1: really. What's at stake here in terms of our, our larger society? You already mentioned the fact that you've got $800,000 tax paying uh, Social Security-holding people who are contributing in some ways to our society. What's at stake mm-hmm. in the macro if all of a sudden um, their protections are removed?
2: So I I would think of it from a humanitarian perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. You're going to end up deporting uh, young men and women who don't know um, any other country but the United States of America. And, yes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they did come here uh, undocumented. But I must say that there is a percentage of uh, DACA recipients who did enter the United States um, with a valid visa. But that visa was not renewed for whatever reason, whether it was a student uh, visa, you know, when they were, well, it can't really be unless they're a genius, right? Not a visa to go to college because you had something. Um, Or just like a visitor's visa, right, like a tourist visa. They came here and then they overstayed the visa and then the Homeland Security never followed up on them because that does happen. So you have not only those that entered without any documentation, but you also have folks that enter with documentation, and then it expired. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. you're going to see a hit in your GDP, um, because they're they're putting money into the community. And there is actually a study that um, has been done, and if anyone's interested, I can provide that information. But it goes into depth about how much money they're putting into the community. it's uh, it's also having an effect just between the the ban on folks traveling into the U.S. from the certain countries, as well as the stance that uh, the government had taken on DACA. Um, it's having an effect on tourism as a whole, um, and just mm-hmm. the, the the trust that other countries have as it applies to the to the U.S. Um, but you've you know you're you're also going to see a hit. Um, and just in the, the the businesses being started, you know, there's there's information about these young uh, men and women who are now up to their early 30s, who are are working in communities. They've started businesses. They're they're putting money back into their own uh, Latino communities or you know uh, Asian communities to help to build up, um, and that's going to be lost as well. Um, so right now, there's a study that says previous uh, there four hundred and sixty point three billion dollars uh, has been put into the u s uh, gross uh, domestic product um, by DACA will be done over the next decade. And all of that economic growth would be lost um, if DACA is eliminated. So it's overall your you say, it also contributes to safer and stronger communities. I know sometimes you don't tend to think about that. But if they're able to come out of the shadows, then they're able to speak up. Um, and so, for instance, a crime takes place, right? If I'm living in the shadows and I, and I saw what crime took place, I'm not going to come forward as a witness because I know I'm going to get deported. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas if I'm here and I have this protection, then I'm going to be more forward-facing when it comes to contributing to the safety and resiliency of the community that I reside in. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So for, for people who are listening, uh what is it that we can do to advocate for sanity and reasonable treatment of this? But can we what we can we advocate to our congressmen and women? And so
2: call yes. So the the goal is to call your elected officials and that you know, it's always important to use the um, an economic argument yeah. uh, to find some political will to allow these young men and women to remain in the U S um, you know, cause as it stands right now, if Congress doesn't pass a measure, we're looking at nearly 300,000 recipients losing their status and uh, being at risk for deportation in 2018 alone and an yeah. additional 320,000 between January and August of 2019. Right, so if these young men and women who are older have gotten married and they have children, um, then they, the, the parents may opt not to bring their young kids with them, which they have been doing all along with you know, parents when they're deported, and the kids end up either in foster care or, or living in someone's home, which they then may you know, become, request assistance from the government. And as it stands right now, you know, DACA doesn't get uh, a lot of assistance. DACA recipients do not. That's why they go out. They get those security numbers. They go out and they work. So we need to stress that it's going to be a, 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 a hit to our economy. I don't believe, in my personal opinion, that there's a political will right now um, to use the humanitarian argument as a way to get folks on board. I just, I, in, my personal ex- yeah, in my personal experience, I just don't see that. Um, also, there are several clinics. The legal community has paired up with the National Immigrant Justice Center, Catholic Char- Charities, et cetera, and between now and October 5th, which is the deadline for anyone whose DACA is expiring between September 5th of this year and March 5th of 2018, they have a deadline of October 5th to renew their request for DACA. And it has to be received, not just put in the mail. So there is an all-hands-on-deck right now with uh, lawyers across the U.S. and nonprofit organizations uh, doing the paperwork and processing this um, to make sure um, that every young man and woman that's eligible has their uh, application processed and submitted for renewal by the deadline. Um, and I I also, I know that you asked for what we can do, but I wanted to make sure I, I said this. So Eustis mm-hmm. has, has said, now Eustis administers the program, and, and this is something that I want everyone to be aware of. They've indicated that they will not proactively share any personal information that is currently in the hands of the federal government. Because remember, when you apply for DACA, you have to give all your personal information. Mm -hmm. However, they have said that they will give that information to ICE if ICE requests it based on the fact that there's a significant law enforcement or national security interest. Now, that's not defined. And who's Hmm. going to be there to provide the checks and balances? Right. Right. And even or, if you do apply for, I'm sorry.
3: Or I was just thinking about it. This is Q again. There's pretext and there's subtext, and then there's a reason to isolate and push people of color out of this country. Right. And that sounds completely pretextual to me.
1: Right. Right. We have, a, yep. we have a, um, a comment from a caller. So caller with 202-721, I'm putting your mic on.
4: This is Sabrina. Hi everybody, oh, this is Sabrina. Sabrina. I'm I'm absolutely fascinated by this conversation. I, I this is just unbelievable. Um what I was really struck by was I didn't know that there was a four hundred and fifty dollar renewal fee, is that what she said every two years? Four
2: sixty five, yes.
4: Four sixty five, yeah. So no one's even talking about that loss of revenue. I mean, if you would take this program out, you're talking millions that mm-hmm. not Going mm-hmm. into the coffers. I mean, aside from the taxes that these people are paying, aside from the Social Security that they're paying into, aside from the businesses that they started, I mean, this is just counterintuitive, like cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, it makes no mm-hmm. sense on the. If, and that's how these people think. They think money. And in fact, this is one way that in some of the organizations I'm working with, you know, we're trying to tell people how much it costs, you know, the cost of incarceration and the cost of not. Stepping in earlier on juvenile uh, you know juvenile issues like it's going to cost you so much in the long run that they respond to because nobody cares about little black boys they just don 't care right and you know right. when you hit them in you're going to sit there and tell me you're willing to let one hundred and thirty five million dollars just walk out the door you 're going to send it out of the country, and all the rest of the money that goes with it. And just because this is the low-hanging fruit, because you can identify these people because they've already they're in the system, and because you're too lazy to go and find the real gangbangers and the real problem people, you're going to send these people out. Right. That's how that's right. how it sounds to me. It's like you're just and being freaking lazy.
1: <laughs> well, it it's more sense. than lazy too. No, it it. Yeah,
4: it's sense. it's it's, it's, it's out now. It's out now. Okay. Like, oh, let me get somebody out of here so that I look like I kept my campaign promise. Uh, right.
3: Well, to put it another way, that is simply the cognitive dissonance that is white supremacy, right? Where you constantly bite off your nose to spit in your face because you claim an economic argument, but really it's a socio-political argument.
4: Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's, it's so. It's like it's, they're just lying to themselves. It's like you're doing to send out the best and the brightest. Okay, makes sense to me. (laughs) So,
1: um, Sabrina, go ahead, Marlena. Just
2: just one other thing to say that uh, what we need to keep in mind is that any DACA recipient that didn't uh, fall within the deadlines or didn't meet the deadline for whatever reason is no longer protected and are Mm. immediately eligible for deportation. Does that mean that they're going to hunt you down? I can't answer that. But if you're anywhere and they ask for documentation, and uh, they can question you and they can bring you into an ice hole. So we just right. we just well, need to be yeah. aware. Right, I'm just waiting to see how many uh,
4: Irish and Canadian DACA you have.
3: You know, that's the unconscionability oh. of what's going on, right? Because you're expecting these unsophisticated, non-legal minds to navigate a system that's law-based that they don't understand, and if they fail to do so, then they're penalized.
1: That is yes.
3: mm-hmm. the toxicity of, yep. of this new world order that's put
1: forth by this administration. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so ladies, I, I un, have the unfortunate <laughs> task of moving up, moving up along to the other topics, Emma, thank, thank you me. so much for such a. And you are welcome to stay on the line. And, and I know. Oh, and okay. thank you, number one, for joining us, even though you're under the weather. We appreciate you taking the time. And I hope your voice and your throat are okay after doing all that talking. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. So, so I'll keep your mic live for as long as you want to stay on. And, if, and feel free to chime I'll stay in. For the uh, whole thing. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Um, so next, we have Sabrina who is going to lead our discussion about financial issues. She actually hosted one of our shows earlier, a few months ago, How Green Is Your Purse? So, Sabrina, welcome back, my dear. Hello.
4: (laughs) How are you all? I was just so into the DACA talk that I I had to call in. I was just, you know, waiting for my (laughs) turn, but that just got me going. And, again, it's the money, the money, the money. It's
2: always the money.
4: It comes down to it. This is a capitalist country. It always comes down to the money.
3: That's right, or at least that's the argument that they make.
4: That's what they say. You're right. That's what they say. <laughs> well, it it, it so. does
1: tend to be the bottom line. But then they use it exactly what you're saying. All right, Sabrina, All right. you have the floor. Care to share some nuggets okay. with us?
4: Yes, and so my charge tonight is to talk to everyone about three topics, and that's retirement savings and taxes. And just to give you a little bit of background, I'm a senior director at Caliber CPA Group, uh, which is a regional um, CPA firm here in Bethesda, Maryland. And so my forte is nonprofit taxation, which now sounds like a, you know a conundrum, but <laughs> there is such a thing. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about those three topics. And so my first top tip, and that's how I was asked to present this, my first top tip to everyone is when you're going to talk about, and I'll start with savings first, is you've got to figure it out. You know, you've got to figure out how much do you really have and how much do you really spend. And that's the key to this whole thing. And for a lot of people, they'll think that what they have is like, for example, they say you're going to start you at a job that pays you 75000 a year. They think they have $75,000, but you don't. What you have is what you take home. Okay, so you really have to get it together and figure out how much money do you really have in your hand, and that's where you're going to end up with that big, awful B word, the budget. Now, mm-hmm. I don't care how you do it, but you have to do it. You have to do it. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't. It doesn't have to be something fancy, formal, totally like advanced math. It can, it can just be, you know, your top ten bills, and, and you just see how much it is, how much do I have, and what do I have left. So that's the first thing. You've got to figure it out. Then the second part of that, after you get off the big B, you're going to find out how much you have left. And to save money, I don't know about the rest of you, but my top tip here is make it automatic. There's no way that you can tell me you're going to resist walking down the street and seeing, like, the cutest bag that you just are going to die for if you've got cash money in your pocketbook. I I don't know about you, but I know that's me. I will spend the money. So you need to make it automatic. You need to take it away from, you know, flashpoint decisions. I'm that person in the shopping line that buys the magazine and the recipe book, and I don't even like to cook, and throw some Mentos in there too. So, you know, you want to go ahead and make that automatic. So that's my other tip. So for savings, figure it out, get the budget, make it automatic, okay? So one of the big things with savings is you don't realize how much finance charges and overdraft fees are killing you. So I would suggest that maybe every year you add that up, because I know it was a sobering point for me. And I'm talking to you as a CPA who has gone through and done all this wrong. Okay, so that's why I know the answers. (laughs) So you might not have any idea of how much those credit cards are costing you. So if you don't know how much money you're making and you go ahead and spend whatever it is that you need to spend to keep your lights on and do everything you want to do, you may be actually financing your lifestyle on credit and at 29 and 28, twenty nine and twenty eight, twenty thirty one percent, that's a lot of extra money. Add the overdrafts when you don't pay that thing on time. You may be talking about three to four thousand dollars, and that's another vacation. That's your IRA savings. That's you know a mm-hmm. good chunk of somebody's college that you're paying and you don't know it. The other mm-hmm. thing about that is that it's going to hurt your FICO. And if you don't know what your FICO is, there's I have no to say to you except figure it out. You've got to get it. Because now they let you get it in any kind of way. You can get Discover cards, they'll tell you what your FICO is. You can go online, you can and get your FICO. You can get you got a phone, you know. So if you're sitting there telling me you're thinking about that thousand dollar iPhone eight X and you don't know what your FICO is, I'm coming through the phone in a minute. Okay? So you <laughs> need to get that figured out. So you need to know what that number is, because that's the magic number. Because that number tells the world how much you have to pay to borrow money and you may have to pay more to borrow money and that's any amount of money it's not just a house it's not just a car it's even if you want to open up another dress barn account or something you know you may be getting a no because of your FICO score okay so you got to know what it is and remember this Every time you apply for credit, it goes down on the FICO score. So don't willy-nilly apply for credit. Don't answer every single thing in the mail and see if you can get it because it hurts the <laughs> score. Okay? They pick that up. Next thing I'm going to go to, okay, so you've got savings, right? You know what? You're going to figure it out. You're going to make it automatic. You're going to figure out how much you're spending in all these hidden charges, and you're going to make sure you know what your FICO is. Now that you have some money, <laughs> you've figured it all out, and you know how much you can put away, you're going to talk about retirement. The big tip here is that almost 50% of the people in the United States of America do not have a way to save for retirement, okay? They do not have a job that provides a 401K. So if you're one of the lucky few that has that option, why aren't you taking advantage of it? Why are you leaving money on the table? If your company has a a 401K plan, pardon me?
1: I didn't realize that percent was that high, Sabrina.
4: Yes, because a lot of people either are part-time workers now, the temps, they work for themselves, you're Uber drivers, whatever it is, and you don't have options. Or your company has just not, you're working for a small company, small business, or your company has let it go. They're not providing uh, a retirement plan. Because uh, that is I, – I, I work with these things. So the, the days of the old, you know, work for the phone company, you'll have a retirement, you know, have a pension for life. The, that's gone. Maybe 4% of people still have a pension that's coming. They can count on a pension. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're still working for the phone company, don't leave. because <laughs> They still have a pension. But if you have the ability to do that, do it. And the key thing here, aside from if it's available, do it. Do it until it hurts okay, you've got to put two percent in or four percent in do whatever you can do if it's too much for you to do the max and I agree that it is a lot for a lot of people to do what the the highest percentage that the government allows you to put in to a deferred tax vehicle, which means if you're making a hundred thousand dollars and they tell you you can put in you know up to i think it's fifteen fifteen thousand five this year um if you can't put that whole amount in, put in as much as you can. You space it out over each paycheck, and then you can do a certain thing where you can make an option, check the box on the option that says, raise my percentage one point every year. And so you have a slow buildup until you get to the max. That's a great way to come into a new job if you're young, coming into a new job, you go in at 2%, you tell them, raise it every year. By the time you leave in five years, which you probably will be, you're up to 7% of your salary going in, and they're matching it. So it may not sound like a lot now, but when you're 24, 25, and you're saving for 30 years, you would have enough retirement. What we see happening is that people are starting to pay into retirement at 45 and 50, and now time is not on your side because that's my tip number two, the time value of money. Where that phrase comes from, time is money, it Mm. is true. The longer you have to save, the the $1 that you save at 24 is going to be worth more at 70 than the $1 you put in at 50, even if you put no more money in. If you put $1 in at 24 and I put $1 in at 50, you're going to have more money and we didn't do mm-hmm. anything else. So you got to tell tell your kids if it's, if it's you've already missed the boat. <laughs> Make sure you tell your kids when they get We're that raising first our job. Hands over here. They get that first job Put the money in. Put the money in. I did do it when I was in my 30s when I got my first job, and it allowed me to buy a house. I could take a loan out on that money and then pay the loan back. It gives you options. It gives you other options. You may need that money before your retirement. And if you may not have it if you don't put it in there. So I wouldn't have been able to buy my first home if I was just going to save it myself. This was automatic, like I said. It came out before I could get my hands on it. And when I turned around and there was a great deal to buy a condo, I had the down payment. Okay, the other thing I want to make sure that people understand in retirement, and that's the people who may have that second job, okay, if you do have a second job and you do work for yourself, you can do a few more things with retirements. You can look at SEP IRAs and you can look at other forms besides a 401K or a pension. If you don't know what those ways are, you're going to listen to one of our shows that are going to come up a little later and we'll talk about that in more detail, or you can always you know, give me a, um, an email or something like that. Um, but there are options if you do work for yourself. Now, you have to make money. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to start a business and have nothing but losses and think you're going to put some money away. There isn't anything to put away. It's your money. This is a great option if you have kids working for you. If you have a child that's got earned income, they can open up a Roth IRA at a very young age, park the money in it, and wait till they get to be 30 or 40 years old. You will be the greatest parent ever on earth when that kid has a down payment. They can make a down payment on a house when they are 30 years old because of money that they put in a Roth IRA when they were working at 15, 16, 17. Okay. Don't let them go to the game store and blow the whole check. So the other top thing I want to talk about now, we've talked a little bit about savings. We talked a little bit about retirement. Okay. My tip on retirement, do it, do it young and do it in any way that you can so that if you have some other streams of income, Look and see how they can be put into retirement vehicles that's allowed by the law. All right? And then the last thing I'm going to talk about are taxes. All right? Mm -hmm. Everybody usually has to file it. One of the biggest tips I'm going to have here is about taxes and identity theft. Now, we just heard the big blow-up about Equifax. Losing all the data, I'm like, oh, my God. Losing all the data and not only just doing that, but then sending everybody to a phishing, I mean, they just, they just need to be wow. taken down and put out of their misery right now. But my big tip here on taxes is, number one, file early. The identity theft happens to those who wait.
2: Mm-hmm. The
4: identity theft happens to <laughs> those who wait. If you haven't filed your tax return and the identity theft person somehow, some way gets your social security number, they go to the IRS and they beat you to it. They say they're you. Alright, your W two is already in there. They say, Oh yeah, da da da. da. This is how much refund. They don't file they don't have to file anything else. They don't know anything else. But they've got your refund. So when you go to file your return, eh they're like, Well no, you already filed so unless you're waiting for information, like you have a trust or you have partnership income or you have something else that you need to file that return, do not dilly dally. Because those are the people who have the identity theft happen to them. The ones that come running in my office, you know, next week in October, <laughs> and all wow. they have a W-2 and maybe mortgage interest. It's okay, right. The ones that file late are the ones that get scammed. Uh, and I'll wow. talk a so, brief moment so about nice the. You didn't know that, huh? So don't sit on no. it. When you have your W-2 and you got all your information, file the return. Get it in yeah. before they can. And Especially so this year because hard we hard. know there was a major breach. Pardon me?
3: And that breach leads us on to our next caller. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Sabrina. Okay. Um, you provided <laughs> a lot of rich information, some of which... Uh, I was unaware of, again, this is Q, the lovable, huggable, angry black woman, and I do believe in 2018 I will wait before uh, April 13th to file my taxes now, Um, (laughs) which is generally what would happen, and I'm a person who's been filing and preparing tax returns for the past 20 years. But I think that is a wonderful way to lead into our next topic of discussion, which is stress release and mental health, and we'll be hearing Linda about that. Um, To lead into that, I just want to acknowledge that for 2017, and really since November 8th, the world has been a very hostile and toxic place. And we have been dealing with trauma on both a micro- At macro level, and in terms of micro, we as women of color recognize that when we move in the world and as we engage with the world, we have to deal with multiple forms of oppression and aggression, right? Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in something as simple as riding the metro or or walking down the street, we don't know whether or not the people we engage with will choose to use their bodies and their words as a weapon, or to use it to heal and create a more welcoming world for us. And on a macro level, we're we're dealing with a world in which the planet actually seems to be targeting us as we deal with hurricanes and earthquakes and mudslides. And we look at our brothers and sisters in the Global South and all we can think about is how can we help them. So as we navigate and deal with all of this complexity, all of this different manifestations of trauma, we have to remember the words of Sister Audrey Lord, right, which is caring for ourselves. So caring for ourselves is not an act of self-indulgence. It is an act of self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. And we have to remember that we can't remain silent during these times because if you're silent about their pain, they will kill you and say you enjoyed it. So I'm going to turn it over to Linda and ask her to share with us how do you think we can cope with this very hostile and toxic world as we deal with stress, as our mental health is taxed to the limits, as we try to be whole people and whole women in a world that's hostile.
5: Thank you so much. Can you, I just want to make sure you can hear me. We can hear you. Wonderful. I loved how you framed it. I just did a coaching session with uh, one of my clients yesterday, a woman of color, and she talked about how much more self-care she was doing, and she had to get past this idea that it was indulgent. So I loved how <laughs> you said it is not self-indulgent, and that's exactly what I told her. I said, you know, I said, first of all, we have been thriving and surviving in this trauma for years. It's just like the waves are bigger now and they're mm-hmm. coming more frequently. And so we're now in a more intense state of depression and rage. And there's group trauma. Like before, sometimes my some friends would be doing well and some some friends would be doing less well and we would take care of each other. But now I really feel like it's like everybody is in is I said, you know, like women of color in particular, were either any on any given day mildly, moderately, or deeply depressed or rageful. Like it's real. And so that is calls for a different kind of balance. So my what I encourage people to do is to realize that stress in itself is not bad, but we have to balance the kind of stress. So there's the difficult stress of hearing all the horrible things that we hear. And there's the positive stress of doing what you love even in the midst of all that, like Trina and her book, right? Like what is it that is our passion? And that can be stressful too, but that stress that moves us to that place of healing and wholeness that you were talking about. And so for me, it's, I, for example, this year I chose to go to the Women's March, and a couple of weeks ago I went to a DACA rally. But uh, there's also days when I stayed home and I chose to write and develop my marketing plan for my memoir. And there were a lot of nights recently where I got more sleep because I just felt exhausted. And so yeah. we have to balance. Like, okay, yes, we sometimes are going to step out and be in that, in that place of power and rage. And then sometimes we have to just cocoon and And drink some tea and be in a very quiet place and re-energize ourselves. And that is not self-indulgent. Our tendency is to do less self-care in moments like this, but we have to do the same or more. The same or more. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really want people to realize that. Same or more.
3: I think that's beautiful. And you make me think of... I, too, show up at a lot of rallies and protests and activities of civic engagement. Um, Oftentimes, I may be the only person of color, a woman of color there, and so I feel it's crucial. It's critical that I give voice to the intersection of the multiple forms of oppression that we have to deal with. And oftentimes, I find that in giving myself voice, that is actually an act of healing. That is an act of self-care because I refuse to be invisible anymore. Um, what other activities, what other acts of engagement, whether it's personal or it's broader, do you suggest for our listeners to possibly use as a way to heal um, from the trauma that we have to deal with being women of color in a hostile
0: world?
5: Well, the first thing is to really recognize it's happening. I know a lot of uh, people uh, think that they, they, they don't really want to acknowledge how difficult it is um, because mm-hmm. there's this fear that we aren't strong enough to manage it, and we are so strong, we are so resilient. So part of it is really going, asking yourself. And everybody's different, but I always, a lot of times, I'll tell my coaching clients: make a list of five to six things that you know uh, energize you. So for some of them, it's music. Some of it is being out in nature. Some of it is being with people who you don't have to code switch that, you know, people that you can just be yourself and you don't have to be worried about what you say or how you say it or what you wear, what you're doing with your hair, like that. (laughs) To be in that community is so, so important. And to not make it negotiable, to take out your calendar and not only put in the things that you have to, quote, unquote, do, but find the spaces where you can be. And if for some people it's yoga, for some people it's meditation, for some people it's dancing, for some people it's reading. But really, if you could, everybody could sit down and write five things that are not negotiable for your health and wellness, and every week put them in your date book, put them in in pen, make them non-negotiable the same way that we make all those other things that we do for everyone else, we have to put ourselves in the equation and make that a, a constant, constant habit. That's and
3: and, beautiful.
1: And you know what I like about that is um, what you're doing is actually making it a priority by putting it in your date book as opposed to waiting until you've taken care of everyone else, which you never will be done taking care right. of everyone else, or, when, or you're never. so exhausted that all you want to do is just go get in bed.
5: Right. That's right and sometimes that's not bad but the goal is to, to step away from that level, that place of exhaustion, to start early in the day, mm-hmm. like to really like the first hour of the day what are two or three things that you can do for yourself in that first hour and do them and sometimes it's putting on music that energizes you and that you love, you know sometimes it's putting on that special scent that when you smell it, you you feel like, oh yes, this is wonderful, right? So sometimes it's 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 those kinds of things. But start the day off strong with two or three things, and don't wait till you're completely exhausted, which is exactly what you said. That's when we tend to. That's when we start going into self-care when we're just self, and then we don't take the best things for ourselves because we're just looking for something quick. Yep. Yeah.
3: No, I find for myself, and I know that it's. Uh, it speaks to my sensibilities, but for me, one of the things that I find um, soothing is to go into public spaces and confront and challenge the patriarchy and white supremacy that <laughs> flows through the world and let people know that I refuse to bend to whatever racist shows they decide to put upon this me.
1: Is-
4: but that, yeah,
1: that is
4: obviously Q, I... Q has a obviously
5: Q
1: has a totally different
0: way of doing of self-care that's than that's of of people. As long as it works,
5: look at, As long as it works, that's all I care about. you feel Well, maybe I'll
4: call routine. my exercise routine self-care and then maybe I'll do it.
5: You You it. Bet. <laughs> you bet it is self-care. It is <laughs> I know.
4: If I call it self-care, that might sound like what, like something I want to do instead of my exercise <laughs> yeah. routine. I'm going like to go do my self-care now. <laughs> Besides, well, I like that.
5: because you're I, I making your body strong is
3: self-care.
4: I'm <laughs> no, reframing this. It's
3: like showing up at a community meeting where everyone is scared to use the words white supremacy and you stand up and say if you don't use the words white supremacy then you're not moving anything, so get over it or get involved in the movement. It really does help open up the space in <laughs> your mind to show that you're not you're not going to cater to sensibilities that don't reflect the world in which you have to move through. I refuse to bend anymore, but that is just me. They're also... <laughs> Great actions and coloring and reading and meditating and enjoying music.
5: Um, okay. so then it's the balance. It's the balance of the external because you're right. Either way, the point of it is sitting and being in your truth. And that right. that can happen. That is that there are multiple ways to do it. And you're right. One of the biggest ways is I'm so into that with you. Like I'm like just call it white supremacy or I'm not having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And and many of you have have been um, on conference calls with me when I had to challenge some issues real quick before we get back to doing the work. But on a final note, I would like to ask um, everyone, and if Emma is still on the phone, I'd like to start with her and go to Sabrina, then Linda, and then circle back to Trina and Ange. I would like you all to give us your final thoughts, your final personal reflections on how is it that with all of the complexity, all of the toxicity, but still all of the hope, right? Because we come from, as folks would say, we gave you eight years and we gave you eight years of hope. What are your final words on telling our sisters how is it we can continue to navigate and move through the world with the dignity and grace we know that is inherent in our being? That's and I will start with you, Mark, with em, if you're on the phone. If not, we'll go straight to Trina.
2: No, I'm here. I I don't know how to actually answer that because um, I guess we all have a different way of coping. Um, I always your- stick to – yeah, so like I – I always have this um, – I, I, I live in the way that I'm going to treat others as I want to be treated, and I'm going to reach out to folks as I want them to reach out to me. And there's a my favorite quote from FDR says, Human kindness has never weakened the stamina or softened the fiber of a free people. A nation does not have to be cruel to be tough. Um, and I try to bring that to the forefront when I speak to elected officials and when I, I speak to government officials. It's like it's okay to have your vision as to what this should look like, but you don't have to be cruel, and this is the way to go about in doing that. And so for me, it's just keep pushing back and being out in the forefront and talking to those that supposedly make the laws uh, to try to get them to see the difference. That is beautiful. Thank you so much.
4: You're welcome.
3: Moving on to Sabrina.
4: Yeah, well, one of the things I always think about when, you know, like you say, how do you, you know, basically how do you keep going and how do you make it, I always think back to what other people have had to go through. And, you know, for us sitting here, I mean, listen to us, we're sitting here on a radio show saying what we really feel and what we believe, and we're not afraid to say it. We don't have to hide to say it. We can prove that we're educated. We, we've we got money. We're talking about how to keep it. We're not even talking about, you know, never getting it. So you, I know a lot of times it's hard to say, oh, well, there's been progress. But I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you know you're strong because you know what stock you come from. And you think back to, like, who you, what your mother went through or what your grandmother went through. And you know you can get through it, too, because you do come from – that stock. That if we're sitting here, you know, how people survived.
3: Very true. Love My mother that. gives me courage every day. Linda.
5: Yeah, I love, love, love what both of you said. I, you know, and I, the only thing I would say to add to it is that we are that we always want to move from a place of health and abundance, and refuse to agree to the storyline of us being anything other than brilliant and beautiful and free. Love it.
3: Absolutely. Ange?
0: Wow, this was really incredible. I just want to say it was a great show. Thank you all so much. This is Like I have to go back and listen to this tonight because it was <laughs> <laughs> <just> tremendous. <laughs> um But I think I'm just going to piggyback a little bit on what Sabrina said in terms of what we are dealing with today is nothing in comparison to what our ancestors had to face, um, whether they came from the Caribbean, from Latin America, from Africa. (laughs) Um, It Mm -hmm. just doesn't, it just does not matter because the struggle is real and we, we, we come from just strong people. You know, we come from strong women. And I think for me, I have a a bag of cotton. Those of you who've been in my office in D.C. know this. I have a bag of cotton that a friend of mine gave me from South Carolina, and it's like the real cotton. I mean, it has everything. It has the seeds, it has the thorns, everything in it, and I have it in a bag. And I have a quote on it from Billie Holiday that says, you can be up to your boobies in white satin with gardenias in your hair And no sugar cane for miles, but you can still be working on a plantation. Mm, And any time, I am dealing with something that is really hard, that is just, you know, I listen to 45 and then I turn it off and I'm like, okay,
1: we've been (laughs) through this
0: before. (laughs) Yep. We've been through this before. We ain't going (laughs) nowhere. Yeah, no, and I pick up this bag of cotton and I let the – thorns come through the bag and I feel it and I have to just say there's nothing that I'm going through today that is worse than what my ancestors went through so Mm -hmm. that's where where I am that somehow we will get through it it is stressful but everything that we have talked about tonight um hopefully will will help us and I I I really want to do something with the DACA um folks that are suffering under DACA. I don't know what it is, but there's going to be something, and there's going to be something to do for folks who are suffering in um, these communities that have been devastated by
1: Mother Nature. So that's all I have.
3: Okay. Thank you so much,
1: and Trina? Okay, and I, I I definitely echo everyone else. I wasn't sure when we decided to do this topic how it was going to come off, um, but it's been beautiful and um, very impactful. And we packed an awful lot into this hour. So I want to thank each of you for taking the time to join us. And, Em, mm-hmm. you had offered to share some information about DACA. So if you can share that with me, I can make sure we put it on our Facebook page, and we also get it circulated in other ways throughout the um, SOLACE community. But for me, absolutely. I definitely, yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, times like this, I, I struggle. I struggle because um I definitely feel like there are times um where it's just it's too much. One more thing is just too much. And and I just have a really hard time figuring out how to move forward, but one of the things that I've decided is that it's the power and what we can choose to focus on. And that's one of the reasons that um, I reached out to Angeline with the idea of doing this show because I knew that we had dark days coming Mm -hmm. ahead. And being able to harness this amazing brain trust of women, beautiful black and brown women who come through this, virtual studio every month, and share their expertise, share their passion. It is what keeps me going. Doing these types of things, being able to give back, it also renews me as well. So I'm very grateful.
3: I can so dig at my sister. Um, Now, I know that we've gone over a little bit, so I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet, kind of like my height. Um, (laughs) But to let everyone know, First, I'm going to give a little background, and then I'll give um, just a little bit of next steps, and then I'll close out with some final words. So, as you all know, or maybe you don't, Revolutionary Sisters of the Diaspora were on once a month, the third Thursday of the month, from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Power Network. And to hip you to what we're going to have going for the rest of the year, on Thursday, October 19th, we will be hosting a show called Rock Your Side Gigs and Follow Your Bliss. Um, We all know the importance of having multiple streams of income in order to navigate a world in which women of color do not reach the pit. We have a wage gap that both. Challenges and leaves us earning less than both white males and white women. So it's important to kind of hold tight to your finances and use side gigs as an opportunity to explore your talents in multiple ways. On uh, November, um, particularly November 16th, we'll be touching on white supremacy. It's time to decolonize your minds. We will be mm-hmm. touching upon the multiple ways in which we have to confront multiple forms of aggression, and um, as I like to say, we cannot dismantle white supremacy, but we will tackle it nonetheless. Um, And to end out the year, we're going to talk on Thursday, December 21st, 2018. What's up? It's time to support our communities and let's get local. Um, so we will talk about different ways in which we can tackle some of the issues that are prevalent, whether it's dealing with natural disasters, personal issues, or as I like to say, it's time to feed the people. <laughs> but to end it all, I just want to take us back to one of my favorite quotes, which is from our sister Zora Neale Hurston. It's so crucial for us to remember that if We are silent about our pain. They will kill us and say we enjoyed it.
0: Uh, I'm going to
3: say that again for everyone so uh, it resonates in your core. If you are silent about your pain, they will kill you and say you enjoyed it. We have to remember that part of self-care is remembering that we have voice. (laughs) We have a very powerful voice. And I like to say that there is nothing more powerful than looking at a black or brown woman in a state of righteous indignation against injustice. There is nothing that can shake us at our core. So remember that as we navigate and cope, we have voice and we have the ability, the capacity and the responsibility to articulate our rage without even offering a solution because the fact that we are in rage is enough to quake and shake the world. So this is Q, the lovable, huggable, angry black woman here to say that the revolution may not be televised, but it definitely will be live stream. And we look forward to connecting with you every Thursday on the pow- every third Thursday of the month on the Power Network, Revolutionary Sisters of the Diaspora. And keep strong, keep tight, and know that we have your back just like you have ours. Good night. Good night.
4: Good night.
3: Good night. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao.